Hi, I'm Nisha Singh, and this is What Makes Us Stronger, a series of stories about people's resilience at times of crisis. What happens when your basic freedoms are taken away from you? The choice to wear what you want, to go where you like, the freedom to go to school. For the last 12 months, this erosion of freedom is what women in Afghanistan have been coming to terms with. That, and a daily struggle to feed themselves and their families. In this episode, we'll hear from women in Afghanistan and from Afghan women who have fled the country about what this past year has been like and what makes them stronger. We'll also tell you how, against all the odds, Afghan women are still trying to shape their own futures in Afghanistan, and how we, at Women for Women International, are supporting them to do it. For a long time, Afghanistan has been one of the most difficult places on earth to be a woman. In recent years, there had been some progress on women's rights. Girls were going to school, women studied at university, and they took part in the government. They worked as professionals, doctors, judges, and they worked as part of our team at Women for Women International in Afghanistan. As an organization, we have a deep and heartfelt connection to this country where we've helped women survivors of decades of foreign wars rebuild their lives. Back in the summer of 2021, our Afghan colleagues were feeling uneasy as the deadline approached for U.S. and allied troops to leave the country. Then, on August 15th, Taliban forces swept into Kabul. The speed at which it happened shocked the world, and our team in Afghanistan began to call us. Their unease had just as quickly turned to outright fear. When I went out of home, I had more fear. In the home, I was feeling much better, but out of home, there was more fear in my heart. I was thinking how I can hide myself. Even believe me, I was thinking that why I have not wear burqa to hide myself. They have created this fear and hurt of everyone. We are very afraid. Believe me, I hide all my education and work documents in a old stove in garbage because if Taliban came and searched my home he couldn't find anything that I am educated woman and I work for. Like so many others at the time we pleaded with foreign governments for help to get at-risk staff and their families out of the country especially high-profile women's rights activists. They filled out countless forms and waited anxiously to hear if they had made it onto those sought-after evacuation lists. They are rushing to provide the information on time. I hope it works for everyone. If Taliban don't kill female, I'm sure tension will kill them. 
Unfortunately, the car dropped me 100 meters far from the gate. I came this 100 meters by with my children, and you hearing this sound of firing. Some of them made it, including the women you just heard. Through the chaos at the gates of Kabul airport and onto the last few airlifts out even if, in their hearts, they couldn't bear to leave. I remember the worst part about leaving Afghanistan. The hardest part was, as the plane took off, my heart broke for the country I was leaving behind. All of us in supporting roles around the world, in the US, the UK, and elsewhere, We're sleeping in shifts and glued to our phones, waiting to hear news of team members. But we were also trying to figure out how we could keep supporting women who remained in Afghanistan and how to keep operating under the new regime. Previously, we'd run vocational skills programs for thousands of women, but after August 15th, everything had to be shuttered until we could be sure it was safe. Just four days after the fall of Kabul, Aram Shakram became Women for Women International's new Afghanistan country director. The moment I joined, I went with a passion of how can we continue the programming Women for Women was doing for women we were serving in Afghanistan in that unpredicted, hopeless situation that the staff were in. And then the first time when I spoke with staff and I said, how can we do programming? What are the options? Even a couple of them told me, really, you are crazy. What are you talking about? All of us want to leave the country. The ambition to keep our organization alive in Afghanistan might have seemed a little crazy. Even our name, Women for Women International, meant that we were immediately under increased scrutiny. Taliban fighters took our office in Kabul, took our vehicles. The women who had been in our programs were too scared to leave their homes, and there was no way to get money into the country. It was actually difficult, uh, mainly because our office was taken at that time, and the staff were unable to report to work. Every staff was working from home. But we had a group of really committed staff who were just reaching out to government departments through their contacts. It was a difficult and stressful time for all of us inside and outside of Afghanistan. But there was one thing that genuinely gave us the strength to keep going. The outpouring of love and support from people all over the world who were watching what was unfolding. All the support that was coming and pouring to Afghanistan just gave me the strength and the inspiration to find any way to continue with the program on the ground. And really, by passing the message to the team, how many women outside and how many men and women outside and supporters were given to Women for Women for our program in Afghanistan, that was really quite encouraging. Twelve months on, and Afghanistan looks and feels quite different. Gone 
are the gaggles of girls walking to secondary school each day. They've been replaced by lines of women in blue burkas begging for bread. The faces of women on billboards or on murals have been painted over, and the black and white flags of the new de facto authorities fly above the capital of Kabul. For many Afghans, life has got a whole lot harder. No one understands this better than Arzu, who lives with her family in the eastern Nangarhar province. Everyone is tired, everyone is hungry in Afghanistan, and everyone is only surviving, not living. We are not feeling that we are happy. Everyone is hungry because money is scarce. When their soldiers left, Western governments cut off the funding that had been supporting the Afghan government, freezing assets in the country's central bank, which effectively ceased its operations. What that means in practice is that ordinary people can't go to the bank to withdraw their own money. Now, almost half the population relies on food aid. Arzu says over the past year, there's been a big rise in crime. Nowadays, if I tell you that for 1,000 Afghani, which will be almost $10, they are killing someone. They are kidnapping someone. My colleague Storai told me the same thing. She left Afghanistan in August 2021, but is in daily contact with friends and family back home. My friends are sharing that people are killed on their mobile phones. If they do not hand over it to robbers, they will be killed. Sometimes I get hopeless and I think that nothing will change, nothing will work. For desperate people stealing to buy food, the price of a life in Afghanistan is cheap. Jobs are scarce. And sanctions by Western governments against Kabul's de facto authorities mostly seem to be hurting ordinary Afghans. All the negative effects of sanctions are on poorer people in Afghanistan, not much on the de facto government authorities. This economic crisis has been made harder for Afghan women because of new restrictions on their lives imposed by the current de facto government. Women don't have permission to work in most jobs, and so they've lost the ability to provide for their families. Girls older than 12 can no longer go to school, and women must cover themselves from head to toe. For Arzu, who's in her 30s and had never worn a burqa before, that part has been really hard. I myself have never wear a burqa, so for me it was really difficult. We have to cover our own body, and it's so much hard hair, and you have to wear a burqa, so it is really difficult for me. Besides struggling to walk in a burqa, Arzu told me that one of the most challenging aspects of the new rules for her has been adjusting from life as a busy woman, a business administration graduate with a job and a social life, to the sensation of being imprisoned at home. At first, 
from fear when the Taliban forces took over, and then due to restrictions on women's movement, which require them to be accompanied by a male guardian. It's something that's really affected Arzu's mental health. I was always crying, sitting alone, and because I'm a person who always spent her life and studies and working, so for me it was really difficult to sit at home and uh, have nothing to do. So for me it was uh, really stressful, and I was totally in depression. That isolation, that depression that Arzu talks about, that's the first thing. Women for Women International tried to address back in the months after the fall of Kabul. We didn't have permission to open our training centers, and we were still figuring out ways to get money into the country. So we had to find another way to reach women. The first things we started in after one month of that back and forth and discussions with the team was to what extent we were able to deliver some psychosocial support message to women through phone calls. So we were able to do some of that in November. Those phone calls offering psychosocial support were made by our female colleagues in Afghanistan. Colleagues who were dealing with their own trauma and isolation. Like Arzu, who besides her struggles with the burqa, is a program manager in Afghanistan. She says talking about coping methods for stress helped the women she spoke to and in a way gave her strength too. They were saying that we think now we are someone, we are important for them, that after facing such crisis, they are thinking of us and telling us that we have to feel okay. Uh, for me, it was a very happy moment where they said that they are now okay and they will try to do this exercise and these workouts with their family members as well. Aside from the phone calls, If Women for Women International were going to stand a chance of restarting our training programs and teaching vocational skills, we knew we had to adapt. Maybe not in the direction that we wanted, but we knew, and Afghan women were telling us, that maintaining something would be better than nothing. There were a lot of talks and back and forth with the new de facto authorities conducted almost entirely by our male colleagues in Afghanistan, who were themselves adjusting to the new restrictions, including the beards they are now required to grow. The most contentious aspect of our programs, according to the de facto government, was any reference to the term women's rights. For us, that was a tough discussion, but we had to be flexible. So you can talk about women's health and well-being without talking about it in the form of this is their right to be healthy and to have well-being. Or you can talk about violence against women in the local language without talking about it as a right. So that's the unfortunate adaptation we have to make, but it does not divert us from Women for Women's vision and the mission we have in the country. So we worked it out. Women would be able to learn literacy, math, and the basics of setting up a small home-based business, like poultry farming or tailoring or beekeeping, just like before. But we couldn't explicitly talk about women's rights. It took months, but finally we got permission to restart our programs in one province, Nungarhar. And in January, 2022, 
we opened the doors of our training centers for the first time in five months to 30 women who had signed up for our course. What we didn't know and what we couldn't predict was whether any of the women would be brave enough to make the journey from their homes and actually turn up. I must say, women inspired us to make this work for them to come back to the training centers. And without that, we wouldn't be able to do it. They made it. They came back and encouraged us. So for us, really, that was inspiring and encouraging. It wasn't 30 women that first day who turned up. It was almost 100. Of the 100 women who came that day, many had been previously enrolled in our program. This is one of them. We'll call her Samira, but that's not her real name. I'm the participant of a program. We have been going through such a hard time. We have struggled with the poverty and financial problem. We were devastated and hopeless. But now we are so happy and excited that our program has reopened. I would like to start a small business with the money I received today. It was a special day for Storai too, who you heard from earlier. She's my colleague, the program coordinator for Women for Women International in Afghanistan, a job she now does remotely from the UK. She heard directly from the female staff at the centers what it meant for the women who came that first day just to have a safe space to be together again. On first day of reopening, it was clear that our training centers are the only hope they have. It's a place where they can meet with women like themselves and can share their problems and pains. Those connections grew as we figured out a way to open more centers and reach more women. Maybe more importantly, we'd figured out a way to get funds into the country using a method called a Havala system. It's kind of like a network of money brokers. It was the dire economic situation that had been keeping Storai up at night. After she and her family left Afghanistan, Storai had found it really hard to sleep. She was haunted by stories from home. Stories of desperate mothers selling their babies for food. To be honest, the night I slept well and very relaxed when we did a stipend and cash distribution to our participants. In first round, the distribution was for almost 650 women in February 2022. 650 women means 650 families. Mm. And I was feeling that I could do something. Being able to distribute the monthly stipend payments that typically form a core component of our training programs is a way of establishing a small piece of autonomy for women. Figuring out where the next meal is coming from 
is everyone's first priority right now. But hopefully, for the women we are lucky enough to reach, there's a chance to support them in planning beyond that. Our main motive is for women to learn new skills so that they can lift themselves out of poverty, build their family, and contribute in the development of their community. And since early 2022, our team in Afghanistan has just kept on going, reaching more and more women, opening 12 more training centers. And the demand hasn't stopped. We now serve almost 2,000 women across three provinces in Afghanistan. And, as Stora explains, we support them in whatever creative workarounds they find for their lives right now. Some women, they created small shops like boutique in their home, and they informed all the people of the village that they have this shop in their home and the females are going and buying from them. It sounds like women are finding a way to continue working and trying to provide for themselves and their families, even amidst all of the restrictions, but I'm sure it's not easy. The people of Afghanistan have endured so much in recent years. Conflict, droughts, and just a few weeks ago, a huge earthquake that killed over a thousand people. Astori says, It just happened in seconds or minutes and people died. There is still violent fighting across Afghanistan and the threat of insurgencies like ISIS-K, the Islamic State in the region. By some estimates, 23 million Afghans don't have enough to eat. Storai says sanctions are slowly killing her country. I can say that even this earthquake was better than this sanction. Because earthquake is short term, but sanction took longer and longer. Earthquake killed people, but sanction kills each and everything like a culture of a country, peace of a country, security of a country. So, Story, I mean, you and I talk a lot about this and we've been working on advocating wherever we can and for you continuing working and operations wherever you can. And it's been a tough year for many reasons for you, I'm sure. So I guess now, after everything, what is it that makes you stronger? I get stronger when I help my family, my people, when I can reach and help someone that really makes me stronger. I feel better when I can do something for my people. Despite everything they have been through, Afghan women like Storai and Arzu and the hundreds of women in our programs have not given up on their country or the chance to build a future within it. And what are your hopes and wishes for Afghanistan? I hope that one day a miracle happens and Afghanistan becomes a sanction-free and peaceful country for all Afghans with equal rights for everyone. We are people who want to live our life. So that's why we want to study, we want to work, we want to serve for our country, for our Afghan sisters, for Afghan people. We cannot sit at home. It's not living. These are our Afghan sisters, our Afghan team, 
working both inside and outside of the country, who keep getting up every day and making a difference to their own lives and to their communities. These are women who could and should contribute to all parts of life and to the future of their country, who are instead struggling against an economic crisis that's not of their making. They resiliently carry on, despite continuing to face hardships and more and more restrictions over the past 12 months. They are what make us stronger, all of us at Women for Women International. So, we'll follow their lead and keep on pressing forward in a way that makes sense for them. Opening as many training centers as we can, to serve as many women as we can, for as long as we can. You can find out more about the kind of stories you've heard today and how you can get involved by following at Women for Women on Instagram or Twitter. And we'd love to hear about what makes you stronger. So reach out and tell us at media at womenforwomen.org. See you next time. Written and produced by Emma Crampton and Zoe Gallagher, What Makes Us Stronger is a Fresh Air production. The artwork for this series was designed by Nuno Studios.